Welcome to Sales in the Subscription Economy, Season 1, Episode 10. I'm Amanda Northcutt of SubscriptionCoach.com, and my guest today is Jermaine Brion, Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Chargebee. Jermaine joined Chargebee almost five years ago after, after a happenstance ride in a shared Uber in San Francisco. At the time, there were only three people on the sales team, but four and a half years later, sales is nearly 100 people strong. Since the beginning of Jermaine's tenure there, he's multiplied their revenue many times over, developed and scaled a highly effective sales process and team, enacted a game-changing freemium for startups, and has successfully taken Chargebee up market. Jermaine is also a two-time founder himself and an avid sailor. Jermaine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me. We are so excited for you to share some of your sales wisdom with us today. Let's dive into the 12 questions. First off, can you tell us a little bit about your sales career, where you've been, how you got to where you are now, and though I'm sure most of us are familiar, a little bit about Chargebee. Okay, great. Um, well, I think the, the first part is I'm not actually a career salesperson. I, uh, I officially started in sales four and a half years ago when I joined Chargebee. Um, before then, I guess I'd always been selling when I was a founder of a startup or even when I worked in real estate. Um, but um, my actual sort of subscription economy sales career started five years ago when I got into that Uber pool and met uh, Krish, the CEO and co-founder of Chargebee. Um, in that time, yeah, I've definitely seen a scale from a transactional model to a more complex consultative model, longer sales cycles. We've multiplied our annual sales price by about 10 in the, in the past four years. So it's been a, an interesting accelerated career and a steep learning curve. Um, as far as Chargebee is concerned, we are a, a subscription billing management solution that enables growing businesses to scale their revenue operations. So anybody who basically is a SaaS business is a potential customer of ours as we help them with pricing iterations, accounting and finance, um, and general sort of subscription management. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. Uh, we love Chargebee. They're a fantastic company. If you guys need a subscription billing platform, definitely check them out. And I am really interested. I want to dig in just a little bit further because you do have this background in political science. And so what was that like making the tr transition to sales and what enticed you to kind of make that leap? Yeah, well, I think the the interesting thing, it was a really happenstance kind of it fell in my lap. I had just shut down a, a startup and I, I really didn't think about it too much. Um, honestly, it was pretty opportunistic at the time. Um, one of the things about sales that I really enjoy is that it's a very well-documented function, right? And so uh, we don't really get many points for creativity. We get points for revenue. And uh, so if you have the sort of the humility to go online and to search, a lot of people have been there and done that before. I think we'll talk a little bit later about breeding materials and things that, that I've looked at. Um, the overall transition, however, like learning to use a CRM, it was a, was a big learning curve and, and frustration. Nobody particularly enjoys those tools. They're always mm -hmm. very complicated. But once you get to it and get to understand it um, and understand the value that it brings to the business in terms of insights, then it's, huge, it's a huge amount of leverage. So I think that was probably the, the tooling aspect was harder than the actual figuring out the sales process. I believe you on that. CRMs are really difficult, but worth their weight in gold, like you said, once you get into them and, and realize their value. Yeah. And so let's let's go into the next question. Tell us about um, maybe the sales resources you relied upon most when you were first making that career transition and then what you, you know, use now to stay up to date for sales and sales management um, to do better at your job. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the, I, the starting point was uh, Aaron Ross and Jason Lemkin's uh, predictable revenue at the time. Mm -hmm. 
I guess they've come out with a new edition, but uh, that was very helpful at the, at, the, at the time, as was the sales acceleration formula, um, sort of uh, Mark Roberge's uh, from HubSpot's book. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, I was fortunate enough to be invited into a community called Modern Sales Pro um, that uh, Peter uh, Kajenji, I can never pronounce his last name, but uh, started, <laughs> uh, he's the founder of Atrium. And uh, the, um, that community is, to me, the Wikipedia of sales, right? Um, any question you have, you kind of look it up. Somebody's asked it, whether it's comp plans, um, whether it's you know, pipeline coverage, SDR motions, all this. So that's a really solid uh, resource for me and has been uh, over the years. I think um, then overall, I continue to follow Jason Lemkin uh, and Saster and the content that he puts out quite regularly, and, and, and that's quite high-level content. And then... My favorite tool overall is still Google. Um, I still just kind of search, you know, uh, how to run a forecast meeting. I remember searching that some time ago, and uh, and you get all these blog posts about best practices and put it together. Um, I think the other point that I would uh, that that I took too long to realize is how many uh, smart people are out there who can help as consultants. Right? I was always a little bit skeptical of the of taking on consultants. And uh, when I think back to early 2019, we worked with a company called Scaled, and then later we've been working with Topo. Um, and they are a huge resource to us in terms of very, they can get granular and contextual to our problems um, and bring uh, a large amount of expertise around the table that just is more brains and more experience um, on the same problem. So it's a, it's a real accelerator if you're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, afford those types of uh, those types of consultants. Yeah, absolutely. Why we reinvent the wheel when you can hire somebody who knows what they're doing and can come and make that happen in your business. Same thing with Googling and looking for blog posts. Um, that's great that you rely on those sources. The next question is, what are your all-time favorite business books? Is that different than Predictable Revenue or the Sales Acceleration Formula? Yeah, yeah, they, they are. Um, they're, they're more, um, I think that's a great question. They're more kind of high-level business. And I think that the, the way that my role has evolved over the years is it's become one of, you know, being a, a sales leader to being more and more of actually a leader. And um, and sales is still a huge part of what I do and the team that I lead, but it's really about now how to empower, you know, managers and directors to themselves drive sales, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not able to do it directly anymore um, given the size of the team. So one of the books that I read at the end of last year, actually, um, our COO, uh, Raman, who's one of the co-founders also, uh, gave me this book. It's called Reboot. It's by Jerry Kalana, um, who's a coach. And uh, it was a really interesting perspective on sort of how to lead um, and understanding that, you know, the imposter syndrome and things like that is quite quite common um, and how to feel confident in your, you know, in what you don't know and, and to show yourself to be vulnerable to your team. And I think that that vulnerability brings a sort of human element into leadership that, that teams kind of um, enjoy uh, or, or relate to. Um, another book is Mindset by Carol Dweck. So the kind of the growth mindset, we have this philosophy in Charge B that uh, the, as, as a company, as a team, and as individuals, we're not, we're, we're not being, we're actually becoming, right? So it's a, everything is a trajectory of growth. And I think that having that growth mindset is incredibly um, important in a fast-growing business, I would say in any business overall, but particularly in a fast-growing business. So that book has helped. And finally, it's the uh, the Trillion Dollar Coach, um, I think was a really nice uh, insight into uh, Campbell's uh, coaching mechanisms. 
um, and, and the type of person that, that he was. So I, I would put those three at the top. Fantastic. And I'll link to all of those resources you just mentioned from the last two questions in the show notes. Um, next question, what changes to your projections, strategy, and sales tactics have you guys made in light of the economic challenges brought on by COVID-19? Uh, this was really interesting. When it happened I, in March, I was very thankful for us to have a situation where um, finance has always given me a lot of authority over uh, terms, conditions, payment terms, um, and contract negotiations. And that allowed us to be extremely sort of agile in our response once COVID hit and to become very flexible on um, payment terms, on um, you know, so, so cash flow is, a, is an issue. So rather than annual upfront, you can go to quarterly or you can go to monthly. And then we even allowed for deferred payments. So if, if business is hard, you can defer payment by up to a quarter. And then we even included, which we don't typically do, but a cancellation policy. If your revenue drops off by more than X percent, then you're able to cancel your, your contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all these things um, kind of, helped us come out of March very strong. The Q1, uh, we actually exceeded, we, we set the plan obviously at the end of last year and we actually exceeded our Q1 plan and had a very solid March thanks to this kind of agility that we brought to the sales process in March and brought a lot of significant deals across the line at that time. Um, we're still seeing that uh, continue through April. We're, we're having a pretty solid April right now. And and so I really think it's about this, um, you know, listening and, uh, and kind of the flexibility that you're able to bring to the deals to, uh, to respond to COVID. Because the fortunate thing about our business is that there are still, as much as there are some businesses unfortunately suffering, there are a number of businesses that are growing in this environment um, as everybody's working remotely, as education has gone you know, to distance learning. And, um, and so we're also seeing you know, some of the more traditional SaaS models for, you know, let's say, yeah, that are that are suffering, but some of new models emerging, and that's kind of helping our business be continue to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you mentioned kind of bringing that human element back in. I can tell, you know, from what you're saying about being, you know, kind of vulnerable and empathetic with your team, you guys are being humans and being vulnerable and empathetic with your customers as well. So I love that transparency and flexibility. And um, that that sounds like kind of an umbrella for your culture. I love it. Yeah, correct. Um, And uh, I want to just one thing in terms of your your question for changes to projections and strategy. Um, what we've also done that I would recommend others do is we've set up a, a leading indicator dashboard, right? That we look at mm-hmm. um, uh, twice a week, actually, that marketing updates and sales updates to start to see if any of our indicators dip. And then we start to plan contingencies for, for example, if SQLs drop off by more than 20% in a given week, what do we do? If, um, you know, if our deal, uh, our sales cycle, extends by more than 30%, you know, what do we do? And so I think it's about getting out in front of those decisions now and thinking about what were the, what are the five, six, seven things that um, really matter to my business in terms of leading indicators? And what would I do if those dropped off by a certain amount as a contingency plan? Love that. That's a great uh, piece of advice. Everybody definitely needs to be ta- paying attention to what those leading indicators are, defining what they are, and uh, yeah, setting up a dashboard like you just said, Jermaine. That's really great advice. Is there anything else you want to add on strategy or sales tactics? No, I think, well, the other point that we did in, in terms of if you think of your team, the team is obviously uh, worried 
uh, in this environment, or it was initially, there's so much uncertainty, um, their lives change as they all go to work from home. Um, and, you know, they, we did see a good amount of our pipeline impacted by COVID, even, even though we were still able to bring it across the line. So I think it's about, you also have to show some, you know, we chose not to do quota relief, but we chose to reduce the, lower the bar of accelerators so that reps would hit accelerators faster um, as a way to kind of show them some support, but still keep them reaching for the original goals that we set out. And I think that's another way to um, kind of bring empathy into the process, uh, motivate the team, and hopefully still drive those results that you were aiming for in 2020 at the beginning of the year. Mm, that's a good compensation move. We're going to talk a little bit more about salesperson comp- or salespeople compensation in just a second. So hold that thought. I want to hear more from you on that. Um, what is your best advice for sales teams competing in the subscription economy right now, given the sudden economic downturn? So I think first point is be flexible um, and really listen to your prospects. <clears throat> understand that the, the challenges that they're going through. Understand that they, you're. you're you're competing for, you know, most budgets have been, most discretionary spending has been cut. You're now competing for uh, fewer dollars, right? And so try to empower your champions as much as possible by bringing flexibility to the process um, more so than you normally would. And um, that comes in in pricing options, in payment terms. Um, And I think that really anybody that has the ability, so some businesses are, are constrained by their tooling that they're not able to provide different contract terms, but I, I point them to charge me in that case yeah. as a sort of shameless plug. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but I think that that's really what you need to be doing now is showing that flexibility. Then I would also, um, we've seen, for example, a huge amount of a, a significant increase in no-shows to our discovery calls so that the SDRs are booking for the account executives and that no-show rate went, you know, basically doubled in March. But no-shows don't mean no interest. Um, it just means that people in March were settling into this new schedule where they have you know, kids and family and all this, uh, all this uncertainty going on. And um, if you stay, again, empathetic, understanding, and just kindly reschedule uh, at their convenience, they will come back, right? Absolutely. Uh, so I think those would be the, the high-level recommendations. Yeah, I love that. How is cross-departmental communication handled at Chargebee, for instance? How intertwined is sales with product, marketing, and customer success? And since you've kind of been there since the very beginning of the sales team almost, I would love to hear how that's evolved as you guys have grown also. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so when I when I joined the business, we were a, uh, I'd say, a, what I'd call a product-driven organization where we were searching for product market fit. We were... Um, sales, product, and marketing didn't really talk to each other. Um, And, you know, we were trying to build everything for anyone who would pay us any amount of money. And Mm -hmm. we brought that in line pretty significantly with the the CEO and the COO to align uh, sales, product, and marketing and decided that, you know, B2B B2B SaaS was our key persona that we were going to target. And we could do things for B2C SaaS, we could do some things for platforms, but prim- our primary persona is still B2B SaaS. And I think that that focus and alignment was essential to our growth. Um, we saw over 100% year-on-year growth over the past four years, and I think that that's driven by that alignment. And if you don't have those functions working in, in, st- in sync, then um, I think that it'll be harder to grow. 
The, the other factor that came in is, so then the organization grew and more recently product marketing sales um, to, and customer success became kind of silos. Um, the teams, not necessarily at the leadership level, but at the team level, just because they were so big. Also, our company, um, you know, has offices in Chennai, where most of our team is based, where the company was founded in India, um, in Sydney, in Salt Lake City, in San Francisco, and in Amsterdam. And so as a global and distributed team, kind of from day one, we have to work on getting everybody on the same page. And I think that a lot of the leadership efforts in this, starting this year that have gone into place is doing quarterly operations reviews, right? And having these meetings where all of the leadership uh, sits together, reviews the quarter, sets out the objectives for the next quarter, and then trickles that down to the through the team through things like OKRs or whatever method you prefer. But I think that that's really important to align the organizational objectives at the top, trickle them into each function, and then even into each person to ensure that that alignment stays at scale. Yeah, absolutely. And how long did you go, or how long ago did you guys institute those quarterly meetings? Uh, we started at the beginning of this year. We we kind of played around with it the second half of last year and really sort of formalized it this year. So it's been, I'd say, you know, two or three quarters. Um, yeah. Awesome. I hope that works well for you. Um, it sounds like you guys have, I mean, you're an old enough organization to know what what's up and <laughs> what's going to work and what's not. So I'm sure you guys have settled on an excellent plan, but it'll see, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over the next couple of years, um, especially in the uh, new world we find ourselves in. So that's great right. that you guys have that set up. Is there anything else you want to add to that about cross-departmental communication? No, I think, well, at the end of, I want to get the dates right. At the end of 2018, we hired a, a CPO and um, I was one of his first phone calls, which I found very reassuring. And the CPO and I have a one-hour check-in weekly and we can talk about anything about the company and casually catch up, but it also ends up we talk about, you know, what we're hearing from the market, what we're seeing in deals, and that really has come to inform our roadmap. And so I think that being close to product as a sales leader is something that if you're fortunate enough to have, um, you know, an open ear on the product end of things, definitely don't take that for granted and uh, over communicate to them because that will make your life so much better when they're when they're building roadmap based on what you're seeing in the market. Oh, absolutely. And especially in a recurring revenue, you know, subscription-based business where, you know, you've got to tell your sales team what's coming down the pipe and then vice versa, like you're saying, the sales team needs to be able to effectively and quickly communicate to products so they can iterate on um, the value that the, that the tool is offering. So that that's a great weekly meeting to have set up as well. Cool. Correct. Uh, let's go back to compensation structure. So in what ways are individual members of the sales team held accountable for the retention of their customers? For example, is their pay structured in such a way that they're truly incentivized to ensure renewals happen or is that the job of customer success? So we, um, that's a great question. Our current structure is that we, so we were a pretty sticky product, right? You're, you're kind of an infrastructure play. Billing is what I say, the spinal cord of a business. It touches and irrigates all different aspects and departments of the business. So once you're, once you're in, um, it's, it's very hard to get back out. And so you would imagine that we could uh, incentivize reps on renewals um, because renewals will tend to happen. But we've opted for a model where the reps are incentivized only on the initial contract period and um, actually, even if they sign a multi-year deal, we'll only incentivize them on the first year. We do call back 90-day churn because that's when the implementation process occurs.
occurs, and that's one of the harder parts of billing is that transition phase. Mm. We want to make sure that the reps stay involved in the process until the customer is, proce- is uh, processing revenue through Chargebee. So we do fall back within 90 days, but we don't incentivize on renewals. That then goes over to our customer success team. Um, They're charged with renewals. Um, We have an excellent net revenue retention rate um, given the nature of our product. And um, so, yeah, that's not been really an an, an issue. I think as we go up market, we will be signing more and more multi-year deals and we'll therefore bring that element into rep compensation not so much the renewals, but just yeah, signing a three-year deal with a with a large enterprise will probably have a little more value than if it were a one-year deal. Right, and longer sales cycle too. So you know, as a salesperson, I would definitely want to be compensated at a rate commensurate with that multi-year deal. So that makes sense. I also like that ninety-day callback. I mean, I think that that really aligns incentives uh, for marketing to get the right MQLs and SDRs to properly qualify um, SQLs and, you know, moving on down the pipe and doing that handoff really successfully to customer success as well. That I haven't heard that yet on this podcast. So I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really, you know, again, we, we learned quickly that uh, comp plans, you know, it, behavior adjusts to incentives, right? That's right. And so when you were just driving, the, if you just drive, we have one segment that's the startup segment that's still pretty high velocity, 30-day sales cycles. And if we just did that without taking into account churn, the reps, you know, as well-intentioned as they are, uh, would, uh, would, would end up cramming things down the pipe that ne- wouldn't necessarily fit and then, you know, will churn out very quickly afterwards. So this, this helps moderate that. Yeah, love the incentive alignment on the customer lifetime value. That's cool. How do you coach your sales team up on properly setting expectations for recurring revenue customers as opposed to, you know, one-time transaction customers? Well, again, most of our customers are uh, SaaS businesses. So they generally, by the nature of their business, they understand the, the value of recurring. They understand also the way that we price, that there's a sort of a metered component to our price that scales as your usage of the system grows. Um, And they also understand that if they're talking to us, then they have some kind of severe pain and, you know, they don't want to be changing this process or going through this process every, every year. So I think that we, um, we coach the reps on the talk track of, you know, we are future proofing the, the customer's business. So we have in our product suite, what you need before you need it. And I think that that's the way that we're able to reassure people um, that we'll have, you know, even the things they haven't thought of in the future, we have them covered when they'll need them. And that's how you kind of get into that long-term relationship uh, cycle with them. Um, we also, I mean, typically we, we used to be month to month in terms of contracts. Uh, we've gone to annual for our more enterprise contracts and find that that also is just more compatible with the way that people buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the market that we serve is currently pretty educated on um, how, you know, how renewals work and how these commitments work. So we're fortunate not to have to educate too much on the actual model. Yeah, that's nice to have that ongoing value alignment with your customer that understands the deal because their business is set up the same way. I also really like the phrase you used, future-proofing. Um, that's a really nice kind of buzz phrase that probably resonates with a lot of your customers if you guys use that in your marketing, but in any case, I like it. (laughs) Um, Are you guys currently in a hiring freeze? Um, We, so 
when COVID um, started in earnest, I guess, early March, we identified, let's say, a handful of hires across the business that were key hires for us to continue to grow. We're fortunate to have a very solid balance sheet um, and therefore not have immediate pressure on our finances. We did, you know, reevaluate all of our discretionary spending um, and we stopped non-essential hires. Now, now that we've weathered that period a little bit, um, we do look at this as an opportunity to accelerate through the turn, right? We want to come out because we do believe there is another side to COVID and we want to come out of this, um, you know, guns blazing. And so we are starting slowly to rehire um, probably more thoughtfully than previously. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, probably more in sales than in some of the other teams. But we are starting to uh, to rehire selectively, and um, one of the motions that we're building out is a is a very solid outbound motion, and so that team is being scaled out pretty significantly over the next three months, um, and that's in all of our markets in Europe, Australia, India, and the U.S. That's really exciting and music to my ears. Honestly, that's great and very encouraging to hear when people are hiring. Um, how do you guys typically source talent? What has worked in the past? What hasn't? Um, yeah, I think, you know, everybody talks about going through your network. Um, one of the disadvantages that I had not coming from the industry and not coming from sales is that I didn't have a huge network to tap into. Um, so we rely pretty heavily on recruiters. And also since we're recruiting in such different markets, um, we have a pretty solid reliance on recruiters and we found some really good partners in each territory that work well. Now, the problem is that obviously gets very costly. So we're, we're evaluating whether we should hire an internal recruiter. We do this already in India, but in the U.S. to help us as we continue to scale because those numbers add up pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's great. What are, uh, let's see, how do you guys assess then when, when a recruiter hands over three or four candidates, how do you guys then go in and dig further and assess for skills and cultural fit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, always a work in progress on that one. Um, and um, I think one of the things we look for at a, let's say a superficial level. So if we looked at their LinkedIn or their resumes, we look at their experience selling complex sales that are top down sales rather than something like a slack that maybe is a, you know, a bottom up or, you know, percolates up as a sales mm -hmm. process. And um, I think that's really important. Um, the, the other thing that we want to um, assess is coachability and um, that and to me kind of resilience or backbone, right? I think sales is unfortunately a profession where uh, rejection is more common than um, positive responses. If you look at, you know, if you have a 30% win rate, well, that necessarily means that 70% of them aren't <laughs> being won. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever level, and if you're a BDR, it's even, you know, it's even lower yeah. percentages. That I think, by the way, just a shout out to all the BDRs, SDRs doing this, like the cold calling, especially during COVID. I think you have the hardest job in sales. You have my full respect. Um, what you are doing are skills for life and uh, you will, you will pay back in spades over your career. The fact that you will be fearless in asking for what you want. But uh, right now, tough times. So, so good job, guys. Yes. Uh, and girls. Um, so we test for that resilience, and for that, I, I actually, you know, um, 
ask them a series of questions and then for coachability, try to offer an alternate view to their analysis and see if they, uh, how they take that alternate view, right? Do they, do they get defensive? Do they, are they open to it? Um, and then at some point, to be honest, um, I, there's a point in the interview where I try to make them a little bit uneasy. I try to push back a little bit to see how they deal with objection handling and how their resilience is, um, how, how solid their backbone is, because I think that's a, that's a key point of, you know, of the hustle and, um, and lifting yourself up and, and sort of fighting for it. Good. I'm glad you do that. I know um, a lot of people are hesitant to put people in that kind of a position, but how in the world else will you tease out the, the grit and resiliency and skills of a good salesperson without putting them in that position on the spot? So props to you for doing that. I know, I know that's tough. It's not, yeah. not fun. <laughs> yeah. Not fun. And then you have to, yeah, you kind of have to explain afterwards a little bit why you're, why you were doing that. Um, yeah. And yeah. Anything else on uh, testing for cultural fit or? Well, for the cultural fit, we, um, I mean, we're, uh, like I said at the beginning, we have a, a very solid growth mindset. So I think that one of the questions that we ask people is how they learn. And, and it'll be, it's very interesting to see the different ways in which people learn um, or continue to learn. And the people who just sort of learn from their own experience are probably not the greatest fits compared <laughs> to people who go out and seek, you know, information elsewhere. Um, and then finally we do the last round is still a culture round with our, with one of the founders, uh, just to assess that, that fit over there. So we, we actually get that as part of the hiring panel, there is a culture round. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I love that you guys, um, hire through a panel and also, um, not only how do you learn, but what about, you know, what are you learning right now? Proof is in the pudding. Are you actually up-leveling your skills? Are you reading? I can't remember if somebody on the podcast said that previously or just in a random conversation, but um, I love that question. What are you learning right now? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's even a, a better, yeah, I, I have the, how do you learn? And then what area do you most need to improve in? Um, yeah. I, I really like the, how are you learning right now? Yes, we don't need salespeople who think that they are excellent at everything. So yeah, I'm glad you asked that as well. <laughs> um, two more questions. What are one to three pieces of advice you give other sales VPs competing in the subscription economy? And is that different than what you would have said pre-COVID-19? Um, that's interesting. Uh, the, um, I think, well, it obviously really depends on the stage, um, how early or how, you know, um, when I joined, we were sub one million um, now we're in double, you know, we're in tens of millions mm -hmm. and, uh, the, so it really depends on what you, where you are at, but generally I think I recommend people that I recommend that people understand the capacity that they need to meet their plan and the pipeline needed to feed the capacity, right? Mm -hmm. I think one of the traps is to understand the linkage between the links between all those things. So if you take the, the overall ratio, 130% of plan is what your capacity should be and probably 300 to 400% of that is what your pipeline should be. Um, and also understanding the different uh, time that it takes to generate pipeline versus the time of your actual sales cycle. Um, because there are times when you can be, you know, actively consuming pipeline faster than you're creating it and you, you can get caught getting short on pipeline by just shortening your sales cycle, but not at the same time accelerating the pipeline growth. Um, when uh, growing quickly, but I think in most things anyways, um, I, my general philosophy is, you know, look at things incrementally. Um, we, everybody wants to come out with a playbook. That's great. 
if you set out the project, and I've done this, uh, of just you know having an A to Z playbook done, um, it actually never gets finished. Um, whereas if you accept that, you know, um, you take the first step and let's do our battle cards, let's do our buyer personas, let's do our disco process and you take it incrementally, then actually it ends up getting done. And, um, the overall philosophy is that done is better than perfect, right? So 80% sort of done is enough. You're growing quickly. It's going to change every six months anyways. Mm -hmm. Uh, another piece that I, that I, this is from a, a mistake that I made, but is to hire ops early, right? I think that the, the sooner you can get somebody in your operations team to be measuring uh, performance, to be optimizing uh, process, and to be working on tooling for your team, I think that you uh, it's a real accelerator. You get really good leverage off of ops. Um, now, on the question of pre-COVID versus now, I don't know how much is actually other than the COVID pieces that I mentioned earlier about flexibility, I don't know how much has, uh, has actually changed other than right now, I think keeping in mind your team's psychology, uh, you know, where their, where their head is at, how good they feel, how hard it is to work and live in the same place all the time, how, you know, respecting their time on weekends and on evenings so that you're not pinging them so that they can actually, you know, take a step off and recharge I think that that's kind of the the overall recommendation I would give is just to give a little more, a little more heart and consideration to the team than perhaps in the pre-COVID period. I like that. Yeah, keeping tabs on your team's mental health super super important. I'm really glad you brought that up. Last question. I'm a firm believer that sales makes the world go round, and we have a tremendous responsibility to get the economy moving again. How can we speed up that process? Yeah, that is a. That is a tremendous responsibility. Um, and um, I think, again, it's about making things easier for buyers, uh, bring in more flexibility into the system, more handholding, um, show them the route to success faster. Um, I think we need to de-risk buying as much so that we can start selling. It is this kind of flywheel where as soon as, you know, as soon as we unblock it and as soon as some people start selling, um, and that means that people are generating more revenue, which means they'll start buying more, right? We're, we're both buyers and sellers as businesses. And I think um, the, most, the more we can do to unfreeze the selling process, the more we'll unlock the, the buying. Um, and I think in SaaS, particularly since the relationship is so long, since there are ways to cut up your plans, your pricing, uh, your features, your contract terms. I think we can offer more today, uh, you know, more value for the money, right? And so maybe you're going to see your ASP decrease or maybe you're going to, you know, but, but at that point you can, you're, you're building and acquiring these relationships for the long term. And so if we keep that view to the long term, I think that we will help kickstart, you know, the, the, the economy again. Um, and I think we just need to have that faith that there is another side to this and that understanding that some businesses will suffer um, in unexpected ways even in a few months from now. And if they're on if there are customers, we should play the long game with our customers. It's not that like short-term dollar squeeze on an unpaid invoice mm-hmm. that is really going to, you know, change the nature of our business. It's really how much can we support them through that challenge? And that will come back to you in multiples over time um, as they continue to grow. Absolutely. Fantastic. 
Thank you again to Jermaine Brion at Chargebee for his insights and advice. Check out the show notes on subscriptioncoach.com slash podcast and sign up for my email newsletter where I read, curate, and summarize the best content on subscription sales and sales team recruiting on the web every week on subscriptioncoach.com. We'll see you next time on the Sales and the Subscription Economy podcast.